The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing Chapter 3 of The Flux, called Once Upon Time. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Uh, Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on our Facebook page, where we're at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, or leave us comments wherever you find us. Uh, I want you to all stick around to the very end of the episode, because we're going to have some great listener feedback. We have uh, plenty of listener feedback this time, so I want you to check it out. And I also want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network that you will definitely enjoy called PlayStation Portable, especially as we're heading into Advent soon. PlayStation Portable is an opportunity to take some time for prayer every day, several times a day, using the prayer of the church, the liturgy of the hours. So check that out wherever you find fine podcasts or or at sqpn.com. So uh, if, you know, if you um, are, don't pay attention very much, you may, you know, unlike me, have not noticed mm-hmm. that the title is Once Upon Time and not Once Upon a Time. I mean, I would have never made that mistake. I was no, just not saying that before we started recording. And, 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 never, I thought it was... <laughs> and you, you'd never have to be corrected by your co-hosts before we start recording. Yeah. And if you'd listened yeah. last week, you would have you heard that, you know, I would never have done that as I'm announcing the next episode coming up. Yeah, right, right. So it is Once <laughs> Upon time, which I'm informed is a pun about the planet time. Uh, but before we get into the discussion of the episode, Jimmy, can you give us a recap? Okay, uh, this is a complex one. Spoilers ahoy. Here we go. Last time on Doctor Who, Swarm snapped his fingers, sending a fatal amount of temporal energy through Yaz and Vendor. To prevent this, the Doctor uses the unoccupied Mori pedestals to transport herself, Dan, Yaz, and Vendor to the center of a time storm as time is running wild. With the help of the Mori, she hides them at places in their own time streams, past, present, and future. Yaz seems to go to her future, where she and her sister play a video game. Dan goes to more or less present-day Liverpool, and Vendor goes to his past, and we see him uh, given a high-ranking post where he uncovers ethical violations, files a whistleblower report, and is consequently assigned to the remote base where we first met him. Finally, the Doctor goes to the distant past to a point at the end of the Dark Times, which are part of Hooniverse lore, where she participated in the original siege of the Temple of Atropos as Dr. Ruth. Uh, So we get to see her again. Because of the chaotic nature of time at the moment, unusual things happen in these periods. The Doctor appears to Yaz and Dan, telling them she's trying to fix the situation. Dan encounters Joseph Williamson. Yaz is haunted by weeping angels. Vendor is haunted by Yaz. And the Doctor is having bleed-through memories of her former self, Dr. Ruth. And the Doctor meets a woman listed in the credits as Osok, who tells her this universe is over and the flux wasn't an accident, but was placed because of the doctor. It is revealed that the original siege of Atropos involved the brother and sister duo Swarm and Azure, who are known as the Ravagers. They have five Thanos clone figures known as passengers with them, and the passengers hold millions of hostages. The Ravagers say that the conflict is between space and time, and that the conflict is supposed to end the dark times. But to get their way, they show they're willing to kill hostages, and they destroy two of the passengers. The Doctor slash Dr. Ruth gets the upper hand by revealing that one of the other passengers contains the Maori, who come forth and assume their places on the pedestals, ending the conflict. Swarm and Azure are captured with the promise of perpetual confinement. Having seen this, the Doctor uses the same trick to create a bootstrap paradox, so there will be enough additional Maori inside the passenger in the present that they can assume control of the pedestals in her original time frame, thus fixing time. They do this, but Swarm and Azure say they tricked her into doing it, anticipating what she would do based on last time. 
Apparently, part of their plan in throwing time out of whack was releasing swarms of tiny blue panic orbs that disintegrate things. (laughs) They also reveal that they have Dan's love interest, Diana, hostage in prisoner. Meanwhile, back at the barn, we learn about what's been happening in the devastated post-flux universe. We meet a young woman named Belle, and through her eyes, we learn that the Daleks, Cybermen, and Suntarans have been conquering the remaining worlds, trying to seize what's left of the universe. We also learn that Belle is Vender's beloved, and she is carrying his unborn child. The Doctor drops Vender off on his devastated post-flux homeworld, but after a weeping angel appears in the TARDIS and seizes control of it, we have our current cliffhanger, the end. So, you know, just a brief recap. (laughs) That was was all that. And that was, there's a lot going on in that episode. I mean, this was... And it's only 49 minutes, so it's really fast-paced. Yes. And we're halfway through the the flux. I mean, this is the, that was the third episode. And Mm -hmm. so we're halfway through. What do you, what do you think of, like, how they've spun this out? We're halfway through. I mean... Do, do you think we've got time to really wrap this up or is this a good pace? What do you think of well, just up front? There's there's a question of whether or not this is actually halfway through, because we know that this this is a six season, uh, six, episodes. Uh, six episode season. So we're halfway yeah. through the season. But there are two more specials that are supposed to tie into this somehow. But yeah. we don't know how that's going to work. So is it going to be like the episode six is going to be a major cliffhanger and then we're going to have the two specials to close it off? Or are, is it going to be kind of a minor closing at the end of the sixth episode and then the last two are kind of to clean that up? Or so I, I think it's likely that we're going to get um, the resolution of much of what's going on. I suspect we'll get a cliffhanger at the end of episode six, but I don't think it'll just be an abrupt you know, discontinuation right. of the story for months. I think that they, they, there will be a six, a six episode story arc that will conclude and then we'll have some kind of cliffhanger to tease the first special. That would be my right. guess. My, my guess is it, it's going to be, we'll wrap up the ravagers in mm-hmm. the six. Yeah. And this woman who, this figure who shows up at the end of this episode is the continuation that she's somehow a bigger story relating Maybe. to the doctors and the Possible. and the timeless child stuff. I that's I have a feeling that's what the other specials will be will be more timeless child related division sort of things. So. Mm-hmm. As opposed to flux related. Right, exactly. And that's possible. By the way, while we're talking timeless child, we should mention a fan theory that's out there. And normally mm-hmm. I don't pay attention to fan theories, but this one has at least a little bit of of plausibility to it. So we've got Vendor and now his beloved Belle. Um, mm-hmm. And he uh, sends a message to her at telling her after he's reassigned in disgrace to this remote outpost after having done the right thing and been a whistleblower. And she, and so he sends this message uh, telling her he loves her and he's been reassigned. And we see her at the end of the episode um, by campfire with her, with her tom- high tech space Tamagotchi. Mm-hmm. And she is watching the recording of Vendor and she says, I, and she mentions their unborn child and says, I wonder if he looks different. And given that she's a young person mm-hmm. and he's a young person, why would he look different? I mean, maybe he'd grow a bigger beard or cut his hair or something, (laughs) or maybe he regenerates. And the hypothesis is maybe Vendor and Belle are the doctor's parents. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Because we're crossing universes, possibly. Well, also we, well, maybe Um, I, I'm a little skeptical of that. I don't, I think Vendor's home planet is in the same universe or they would have told us. Okay. Um, But uh, it could explain why the, you know, what Osok meant in telling the doctor that the flux is because of her, that it's artificial. If, if, if her parents and she are tied up in all of it. 
didn't the Timeless Child originally come from a different universe? Well, it, the Timeless Child came through some kind of dimensional barrier, and maybe at the end of this story, Vendor and Bell will go into an alternate universe, and mm-hmm. at some point in the past, the Timeless Child will come back. Right. Interesting. Oh, that. That would be That's an interesting theory. Yeah, that would yeah. be an interesting theory. Yeah. Also, and this is purely cosmetic, but um, and you know, given the way regeneration works, your race and gender can shift dramatically. But um, but Vendor and Bell do happen to have the right skin colors for the original skin color we saw the Timeless Child with. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Hmm. Fascinating. Although although it probably would be a little too much for the well, given the sensibilities at the BBC, I don't know that I, I, I think that they're, if they have, a, a, you know, parents of color, they're very unlikely to ever have them shown having a having a Caucasian child. Right. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Well, we'll see how that theory pans out, I guess. Uh, that would be I would I would I'd be fascinated to see, you know, more about the doctor's past like that, that, that we've opened that door. We've got to eventually walk through it. The The child. <laughs> We do. I don't know that I would walk through it this soon, though. And that yeah. is a decision that could be affected by the fact Chris Chibnall is leaving the show and doesn't yeah. want to leave that to someone else. But um, I I actually kind of would prefer, I won't mind if they do this. That'll be okay with me. I, it won't crush my faith in the show or anything. But um, But I actually like the idea of exploring the doctor's uh, mysterious history in reverse order. So mm. I would think we should learn more about her work with the division right. and thoroughly explore that before we go to the origin of her of her original people. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's obviously how Doctor Who started. You know, we, we knew that the Doctor was an alien from another planet in the future, but we don't didn't know anything about him until we never saw Gallifrey or a part of Gallifrey until this the regeneration from Patrick Troughton to Pertwee. Right. right. So, right. I mean, that, that was a long time that we finally found out who his people were, you know, at the beginning of the series. So it would not be out of character for the series to take a long time to fill in these gaps. Yeah. And yeah. in the original unaired pilot of Doctor Who, it actually was established the Doctor was from the future because mm-hmm. Susan at one point says that they're from something like the 47th century of time or something. Yeah. Right. But later that was retconned and I don't think they've established when present day, when the Doctor is born on Gallifrey relative right. to Earth time. So let's leap into uh some of the other stuff about this episode, uh, mm-hmm. I I thought Bell's story was interesting. They really call it out. You know, they they have these uh, title cards. You know, Bell's story right at the front, and then mm-hmm. they a couple a couple of things go back to where they give us you know star coordinates, which mean nothing to us as the viewer because you know we don't we they're don't have made any. Up. Yeah, they're completely yeah. made up. We don't have any re- re- uh, uh, frame of reference for them. But they set off that part of the story, which is interesting. They don't set off any other part of the story like that, and. Um, my guess is we'll continue to see that. It's possible that we'll continue to see them do that. Uh, she's on the run from the Daleks at first, which is interesting. We get to see some Daleks there. Um, and this blue time particle clouds, which I immediately thought of like, well, they, they look like the same color as swarm and they are kind of a swarm. So they must be connected mm-hmm. to swarm. Uh, and they kind of are right. I mean, that's. Well, he tricks the doctor into releasing them. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So I don't know if he so he's not necessarily directly responsible, but I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. The the connection, that possible connection. And the tiny blue panic orbs could totally disintegrate your dogs if they wanted to. But <laughs> they seem to be more interested in disintegrating things that are out of place temporally. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the the gist I got and it was hard because this time the. um. I didn't have subtitles to watch and and BBC sound is notoriously bad yeah. for I for everyone who lives in the UK. You have my sympathies. Sound <laughs> is much better in the US. Um, <laughs> but 
um, they the the vibe I got was that these are designed these whatever they do they're they're like the space pterodactyl or the time pterodactyls we saw back mm-hmm. in the ninth doctor's time mm-hmm. they're meant to uh, fix temporal anomalies the paradoxes right. 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 I don't think they even really expressed what they do, just that they had gotten released. I don't remember it mentioning that they were, you know, you know, the street sweepers of the of time or something like that, you know, to clean things up. Yeah, I thought there was a line in there like that, but I, I could be mistaken. Right. And I, and I did have the, the uh, closed captioning on and I couldn't I don't remember seeing anything about. Yeah. Other like, again, other than the line about you were the one who caused them to be released. What was that Stephen King story where they uh they get out of phase the Langoliers of the Langoliers yeah so the, the so it could be like they're kind of like Langoliers so uh, much, other much other, better special effects though <laughs> right 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 um so uh, another interesting aspect of this was the weeping angels I mean we've mm-hmm. we saw weeping angels in the first episode and they they're they're kind of they're acting differently I mean. They're not directly going after Yaz like to, to to make her jump, and they're they're almost sort of there but not there, uh, right up until the end. You know, she mm-hmm. sees uh, she sees one coming out of her Xbox, which is, re- reminds us of the uh, uh, with Amy uh, and the mm-hmm. uh, the ship that was crashed, and seeing it on the screen, and have you know when they're when they even their image is is real or something yep. or can make mm-hmm. them real. Um, Whatever holds the image of an angel becomes an angel, right? Right. And and I thought the usage now originally we see them. Yaz is apparently settled back into life as a police officer in her future. And she like sees a weeping angel in the mirrors on her car in the rear view mm-hmm. mirror and, and the door mirror and stuff. Right. And 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 that's OK as a jump scare. You know, it's fine. It's not particularly terrifying. But where I thought it was very where I thought it was much more creepy and effective was in the video game sequence. Yeah, where there she she's seeing the weeping angel in the video game and it's getting closer. And then it comes even though she shuts off the video game, the weeping angel comes out of the television. Mm-hmm. And um, and I thought that was very nicely played. Uh, it, that was quite scary. And it was like, yes, this is this is how you make the weeping angels scarier. Don? Yeah. If you uh, if anyone's played any of the Doctor Who uh, VR, like the on the Oculus Quest mm-hmm. with the Weeping Angels, yeah, it's just like that. Like you've got to because it's a video game, you've got a certain point of view, and you have to keep turning to keep them in. So it was like that in the in the in the show. <laughs> you have to keep turning. It don't, does I, I, does don't, the Oculus? So this this would be the ultimate. Does the Oculus thing measure whether you blink? It doesn't. It, it doesn't. Oh, see, yeah. they need no, to have that, that functionality. <laughs> yeah. You need to play it with real blinking. <laughs> yeah. I just, unless you, I, unless you like being scared, I don't recommend the Doctor Who Weeping Angel game on the Oculus here because it's, it's so scary. <laughs> so that's that's how it should be. That's how it should be. You know, that they should be terrifying. Yes, and it is terrifying. But yeah, I, I thought it was interesting to see how they've incorporated the weeping angels in it. So like, cause, cause all we've got all the villains on, on the, on the battlefield here. We got the Centaurans, we've got Cybermen, we've got uh, Daleks, and now we get the weeping angels, all the greats. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the weeping angels seem to be acting differently. Like you mentioned, Jimmy, the others are kind of dividing up the remains of the destro- destroyed universe among themselves, but the weeping angels seem to be doing something different. Well, the weeping angels are, are their time is a part of their makeup. I mean, they, they, they feed off of, the, the time energy of someone getting sent back in time. Right. So you can imagine now with the flux, basically throwing time and space out of whack, that it would be affecting them probably the worst. And mm. so, you know, speculation that one weeping angel took over the TARDIS because it's trying to fix this. Try, it's actually trying to help maybe. Well, I don't know. My guess is that. So the original swarm and, Azure and 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 it is the original incarnation of Swarm. It's the mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. one we saw before he regenerated. Right. Um, but he he says that this conflict involves space and time being pitted against each other. And the and then Asok tells us that the flux is a spatial thing, whereas uh, whereas the Ravagers are a temporal 
bit of chaos that's been introduced. My guess is the Weeping Angels are part of the time faction in mm. whatever's going on. By the way, I, I did see, so I'm, I don't play video games myself, but I know that, uh, and I didn't understand Yaz's sister's line that nobody calls them video games. I mean, it, I would either call them video games or computer games. I don't know what else people may call them these <laughs> yeah. days. Yeah. But, Just games? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But um, the um, uh, I, I've, I have heard that video game aficionados will complain about mistakes that TV and movie makers regularly make when they portray video games. And I saw one gentleman complain about that in this episode because we have Yaz and her sister, both with controllers, both playing the video game. And then when we finally see the screen, it's a first person shooter game yeah. with only one yep. player. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wanted to, uh, to also bring up in addition to the, like because they're all in there. You mentioned they're all in their different times, their own, their different time streams. And the question is, is are they in their memory of their time stream or are they actually reliving their time stream? Are they well, there or is it just a memory? They say it both ways, um, yeah. but it's not just memories because the doctor tells Yaz they can be in the future. And Yaz appears to be in the future because she says, I don't remember any of this. This is not the way it, my life is. Right. And right. so it appears that she's in her future and it does. And they don't really address to what extent do they have control over what's happening here? To what mm -hmm. extent is what's happening here different than right. what otherwise happens here? Um, like in Vendor's flashback, Yaz is for some reason overwritten like his commanding officer yeah. and is otherwise lurking around and they never explain that. Um, right. So maybe we'll get some closure on that or maybe it was just a cost saving thing because if you use one of your regular actors, you don't have to pay an additional actor if they don't speak any lines. And you'll notice when we get bleed through of his original commanding officer, all the commanding officer does is shake his hand. He doesn't say any lines. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Actually, he did. He did say one line he, oh, he had okay. right at the end. Yeah. Um, but it was uh, what we see with Dan, where he's jumping through different times with uh, Diane. Yeah. You know, and so they're all, but more it's or all less the same storyline. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's, but they're, but they're, they're moving through it. And so, it, you know, I got the impression it was supposed to be in their time, time stream, but it's because of everything that's going on with the flux, it's all mixed up. Right. Yeah. And and although they, she disappears at the end of his, like when they're in that stadium and they see passengers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And presumably that's where she's abducted by passenger. That's okay. why she disappears. Oh. Okay, I guess. Although we saw her get a transported away in the first episode too, when she went in. Yeah, yeah. and who knows how much of an explanation <laughs> we'll get? They can chalk everything up to time was running amok if they need to. Wibbly wobbly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but but the, when the doctor goes into her own past to to Doctor Ruth, or uh, to, to be clear, fugitive doctor is how she's credited, but played by Joe Martin. Uh, all three, I. I I think we've all agreed one of our favorite doctors in the present yeah. time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she interacts with herself in, through a mirror, which I thought was interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. They have a kind of yeah. a conversation. And so I, the, I, I like Dr. Ruth's line. It's like, who are you and what are you doing in my reflection? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, and, and it's, it's clear that this is bef before the Dr. Ruth we met because yes. she doesn't remember number 13 but number 13 remembers her yes this is when she's still part of the division and she's with other division agents and this is the 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 action to take down like you mentioned jimmy were the ravagers the first time uh the other division agents we look like or is they're being occupied by yaz dan and vinder although dan mm -hmm. At least Dan is, apparently... is really Carvinista. Car Carvinista. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh man, that so fits, right? That's probably why their species luck. Uh, but also, yeah, I mean, and apparently that means that uh, Carvinista is quite old, or well, it sort of or depends on how at time least works. Has, yeah. has time traveled? Yeah. Well, yeah. well, in when in Bell Bell gets a Lupari ship and mentions that the Lupari disappeared, 
from the universe. Well, we know where the Lupari went. They're shielding Earth. Right. So how this fits for time span as far as what was happening with the Ravagers versus time on Earth. Yeah. You know, so it's clear that, that the, the Lupari's actions have kind of changed their relationship to time as well. Right. What what I liked about um, the fact that the current doctor is reliving a memory of the fugitive doctor is that she because she's doing the same thing in the moment. Now, they talk about her having time hazing where Mm -hmm. she becomes fuzzy and becomes mentally unstuck in time. Mm -hmm. And that's when the 13th doctor personality is asserting itself but then in the rest of it and they apparently have some medical thing they can do to to tamp down on that um because yaz or the agent that is portrayed by yaz like injects her arm with something to stop the time hazing and cause the cause ruth's personality to reassert itself um, but through the key parts of this sequence where she's acting as an agent at the siege of the Temple of Atropos, Jodie Whittaker gets to act like Joe Martin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it is really nice. It adds a whole new dimension to Jodie Whittaker as an actress in this context. As far as I'm concerned, it's like, yeah, she's much more engaging Yes. If they right. would just write, it's not that she's a terrible actress. It's that they've written a terrible personality for her. Yeah. That's yeah. just nothing more than nice. And and yeah, the 13th Doctor is nice, but but that's only one of the things the Doctor needs to be. And she yeah. also needs to have this assertiveness and take charge and competence, all of which Ruth has in spades. Yep. And, and so, you know... It, it, it just write Jodie Whittaker like this and she'd be a lot more interesting. <laughs> she's a great actress. I've seen her in other things. I mean, she would be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, although she you mentioned she's uh, just all nice. There is this one night. There's one good moment where she's uh, very much a parent. She says, can't you just do it without asking why? <laughs> As a parent, you say <laughs> that a lot. Any discussion, yeah. <laughs> without any discussion. Can we just do it? Just do it yeah, without discussion. <laughs> I, I wasn't happy with that because, I mean, I understand. I, if that were new, I would I would be fine with that. But the problem yeah. is she's they've shown Yaz constantly asking her questions and the doctor constantly ducking them. So it's like yeah. when she says, does everything have to be a discussion? It's like nothing has been a discussion. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you're using it on a, another adult, that's that it doesn't work that way with the kids. That's when you use it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of in a way she is being it's it. It is that whole sometimes the doctor's condescension comes out the doctor's sense of i'm i'm better as a gallifrey i'm better than these humans he doesn't he, he she does don't doesn't do it very often but it does come out occasionally well, and it depends on the doctor right right like the you know 10 tenant did it a little bit uh certainly capaldi did it a little oh, bit Matt yeah. Smith did it a lot of it yeah yeah so it comes out once in a while which is which is interesting john uh, we did it a bunch yes yep Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot <laughs> which is yeah. not just not <laughs> you, say it was wrong it's just tom it, tom baker did it uh, on occasion uh, you yeah. don't understand sarah jane i'm a time lord i walk in eternity blah 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 <laughs> she's and she rightly is going ooh does that mean you're middle age with tom baker they played it obviously played it as comedy though i mean you'd get yeah. into that kind of mode and it was you know very clearly played for comedy especially yeah. that that scene that, yes. that one's sarah is the foil yeah and by the way speaking Speaking of playing things for comedy, so this is not the first time we've seen time out of joint like this. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back to the Stephen Moffat episode, The Wedding of River Song, River Song cre- violates a fixed point by not killing the doctor at Lake Silencio, and that causes mm-hmm. time to go crazy. And when we open at the beginning of The Wedding of River Song, after she's done that, it, it, we have all these you have you have a similar chaotic sequence but it's played mm-hmm. it's much more intense and it's played for comedy yeah so right. you have people um you have you have people in the park that are 
being dive bombed by pterodactyls and there's a sign mm-hmm. that says please don't feed the pterodactyls and you have Charles Dickens being interviewed on a morning BBC chat show about his <laughs> upcoming Christmas special and you have reference to the Holy Roman Emperor Winston Churchill arriving on his yep. mammoth and stuff like that and that's all yeah. played for comedy and I wasn't a fan of that yeah. um, it I'm I'm glad they finally got River and the Doctor married, but the rest of the episode I wasn't a huge fan of. Um, hmm. But here we have Time Out of Joint played for drama, right. and it's slower paced, and it is it is creepier, and I find it more effective here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the fact that you've got you know the the, the Daleks and the, the Cybermen and the Santarans basically taking over what's left of the universe and trying to be the last race standing, basically. Um, that I mean that, that you know much more serious. You see, you know, kind of the reaction of what's going to happen if time goes completely astray. If if the you know the universe is destroyed by this rogue time that's that's trying to take everything over. Mm-hmm. So one character that we met, you mentioned in the recap that we haven't talked about yet is Joseph Williamson that uh, Dan mm-hmm. runs into in the Liverpool tunnels, which maybe or could be the livable tunnels like i assumed it was there well and they've got they've got a lantern on the wall so it looks yeah. like the liverpool tunnels but when dan mm-hmm. asks if they're near a particular site in liverpool um joseph williamson laughs in his face and says we're very very far away from there so yeah. maybe the maybe they're on another planet with some tunnels or maybe the liverpool tunnels have been transported to another planet or something he certainly mm. has a ray gun that he's using to shoot back at the uh, blue swarm. Actually, no. <laughs> he says it's not the blue swarm. It's something else that's chasing him that he's been shooting at. Oh, OK. okay. Mm. But uh, we never see what that is. But we never see. It. Yeah. I mean, he's still this big mystery that that's got to get wrapped up at some point in the next three episodes, because there, we don't know hardly anything about what what he's doing in this story. So that's got to got to still be well, to and- come. And they're keeping him purposely vague too. Like he'll he'll respond in ways that are just almost sound like you know maniacal, just completely off his rocker mm-hmm. and completely you know just he his mind's been blown for lack of better words you know and he just right. he can't make sense of what he's seeing and what he's experiencing. Um, and so they're keeping him purposely vague. So I'm I'm sure it'll get revealed right. soon. So no, in the next three episodes, yes. Yes. That's, <laughs> Assuming it doesn't go over to the specials. Yes. We have to keep saying that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how much the vendor's story, and now that we know Bell is part of his story, how much that occupies this episode and how much vendor is, has reached the level of companion. Like we, we knew from the beginning that vendor would be kind of a companion, but we didn't know why. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. It kind of I feel like maybe that, now that you mentioned that that theory, Jimmy kind of lends credence to him being bigger than just the guy they pick up along the way. There's an importance to him. He recognizes the TARDIS. He knows what it is, kind of like Dan did, which is, again, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and this whole subplot about the Grand Serpent, who apparently is some sort of leader of his people. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we haven't talked about him yet. I, yeah. I didn't want to bog down the recap any more than I had to. <laughs> right. Um, but so so when we first meet Vendor in his memory, he's he's done some daring rescue thing and uh, the, at personal risk and is now being offered a much higher position. He's going to be the guardian of the Grand Serpent. And the Grand Serpent is apparently a guy who has uh, who is a leader of his people and is a pretty slimy person. I saw someone online correctly say this guy has Martin Clunes vibes. <laughs> if you remember if you remember from the uh from the snake dance episode in the fifth doctor's mm. time where mm. you had Martin Clunes as this slimy young snake related guy who is <laughs> yeah. a leader of his people and and it's like uh, this guy kind of is a hark back to that it feels like a hark back to that and and the and so the the he's very high and mighty he's very much do what you're told don't even express agreement or approval with me that's how low you are can i can i jump in yeah. that mm-hmm. That got me so mad that that scene because he's standing there monologuing to his 
Secret Service agent, essentially, about what's going to be happening. And the agent says, oh, sounds like a good idea. And he jumps all over him like, well, if you don't want to hear his opinion, what are you telling him for? And not only is he monologuing, (laughs) he's pausing in a way that invites comment. Right. Oh, it's like you set him up. Oh, it just drove me crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And eventually, so they're negotiating a treaty with some alien people and at and and vendor's job is to record the meeting and so he's doing that and they're having the negotiation and they get to the end of it and the grand serpent says just one more thing oh by the way shut off the recording and he makes vendor mm-hmm. shut off the recording which vendor doesn't want to do because it's his duty to record this but he does and then the um the the grand serpent says to the aliens now there are nine people i'm going to give you a list of nine people that are like in your territory and five of them are traitors to us. And so you need to extradite them to us so they can face justice for their crimes. And four of them are members of my opponent's family. And you need to arrange for them all to die in an accident. Mm -hmm. And vendor then files a whistleblower report on this and is, is told and, and his supervisor slash Yaz says, have you discussed this with any members of your family? Which would mean Bell in this context. Mm-hmm. And right. he says yep. no. And but that's a great line. Have you discussed this with any members of your family? <laughs> yeah. And um and he goes ahead and insists on and, and the supervisor says or the commanding officer says, you know, you're taking a lot of risk here. And he says, I know, but there there are whistleblower protections. And just like a lot of people in certain recent American administrations, I won't name, found out. Yeah. Those whistleblower protections were written by the people in charge. (laughs) Right. And and so um, so Vendor insists on reporting what he's learned and he is immediately reassigned to um, to the Thule base in Iceland. (laughs) Outpost Rose. Yeah, Elmendorf Air Force Base in Alaska. Uh, You know, I just got to say, if you name the highest office in your government Grand Serpent, you're probably asking (laughs) for trouble. (laughs) Like, I mean, we all know that politicians can be snakes, but, you know, naming the office the Great Snake is probably a bad idea. (laughs) So anyway. uh, Well, I wonder if that that was commentary on the the current prime minister. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I thought um, the guy was like, seemed to remind me a lot of Benedict Cumberbatch. And in fact, I had to look twice. I'm like, it's not Cumberbatch, (laughs) but it it looks a lot like him. Sounds like him, too. Anyway, you were going to say. And, and, you know, we know that this government that he's pledged to is not like a monarchy. It is very much like a constitutional republic like ours or, you know, like Britain where they've got a constitution, a prime minister and so on. So, you know, but this is somebody who's obviously gotten much power within that government and is basically controlling the government more like a a dictatorship than a constitutional form of government. Right. And then Bell, we find out she's on a, like we mentioned, a Lupari ship. She's trying to reunite with Oh with yeah, Vinder. She's attacked by Cybermen and yeah. interrogates and, one. And this was uh, this was uh, a sequence I did not I did not like because she's she's on the Lupari ship. She's got one like one or two blasters, and this enormous number of Cybermen come trumping up the hallway towards her, and she kills all of them. Mm-hmm. And they are terrible shots. I mean, these Cybermen have become stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. None of them hit her at all, even though she's standing in front of the hallway they're coming out of. They have a restricted range of fire, and she's standing in the middle of the restricted range of fire, and none of them can hit her. Like Dan so, in, with some Tyrants last time. Yeah, it was... It was uh, very unbelievable, and and it was a really stark contrast in my mind to um, how the Weeping Angels were played in the video game sequence. That was scary. Yeah, this was totally non-threatening. This was just action hero gratification, you know, silliness. Right. Well, maybe the maybe they were upgraded uh, stormtroopers. Maybe those <laughs> yeah. that particular group of Cybermen were upgraded stormtroopers. Right. They were the bad batch. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so she interrogates him, but doesn't really get any information from him. Um, 
and she ends yeah. by saying, you know, her mission is love. Love is the only mission, which, you know, is part of the revelation that we will get about her trying to seek out Vinder, the father of her child, uh, and reuniting so they can be a family again. Uh, but so, so that gets mentioned. I, I thought it was kind of an, like a nice nod to the importance of family and love and, you know, it, the reality that love is the ultimate, you know, end of things. And, well, I, I think that that scene was meant to be played as a exposition scene. Yes. Yeah. You know, where this is what's going on in the universe right at this time and everything. And it, it, I, I agree. It, it kind of fell flat. Yeah. To me, you know, as, as far as, as, well. as far as a conversation did, you know, because we didn't really learn anything. It's just the Cybermen are being Cybermen. That's all we learned. You know, they're going to convert all organic matter to Cybermen because that's what Cybermen do. And and I didn't need that to be explained to me as a longtime viewer of the show. Mentioned, we mentioned that the doctor, as they're getting extracted from the time storm, she has this encounter. She's she wants to stay back in for just one more memory. She could, if she gets one more memory, she'll find out what she needs to know about herself in the division era and as Doctor Ruth, and then encounters this old woman, which is her name is Osok. What do you think of of this? I mean, what what what? Do you have a theory at all? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> well, the Osok could. The odds are Osak is a new character and that we don't know and that we'll just have to learn about her. Um, some people have wondered, have immediately thought of, could this be the doctor's mother? Right. Because she is an older woman. Um, also, could she be another version of the master? Because they love to introduce the master under other disguises. And she certainly knows a lot about the doctor and has a, at least a semi- has kind of a frenemy relationship with the doctor in this scene, just like the master does. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't think we have enough data yet about Osak. She, she had some kind of, kind of relationship with time though, because she was able to dismiss the doctor basically said, go away. And the doctor did. Like she kind of almost predates our universe, like is like outside and above our universe, that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. not really a Gallifreyan per se, but, but what are the, what wasn't there like these the guardians last, yeah it occurred yeah. to me that she might be a guardian right right cuz yeah. we saw one of those last season um but i guess that's just a you know put a pin in this we'll be we'll be coming back to her later uh, sort of thing hopefully well, we yeah. we saw the black guardian in the um in the recent um Maudwin undead that we reviewed mm-hmm. right right she says the flux was made because of the doctor and that like sort of she's the cause of it or something along those lines or or somehow responsible for it uh, right right um and then that's all we get from her and then we get back to the resolution with uh die is a prisoner inside passenger uh the doctor says basically to swarm like what do you want tell me what you want we'll get it for you we'll resolve all this and he gives the classic milton well you know lucifer uh, Paradise Lost line, I want to reign in hell. You know, with, in Paradise Lost, uh, it's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. And Swarm says, so basically, he wants to see the universe burn. Uh, yet another bad guy who would destroy everything. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Uh, right. But at least that's kind of what he, how he phrases it, what he says. And they, and as you mentioned, this seems, to, the doctor's resolution to uh, the things going on on Atropos is playing into his hands. Whatever she did seems to be advancing his plans for what comes next. And it, and it seems to have been that he only wanted time out of joint in order to get the blue panic orbs released. And mm-hmm. now he's okay with time being fixed. Right. But there's even a question about that because as, um, as the doctor's leaving, one of the priest triangles comes up to her and says, did you repair? And she says, I hope so. Yeah. So she expressed doubt about whether she's really repaired the situation. Right. Or he says, can you repair? Is it repaired? I hope so. And you kind of get the I kind of got the sense that I hope it is repaired or that I can fix every, you know, whatever else is wrong. You know, the, the fix the overall problem uh, with that. Uh, mentioned that Vinder recognized the TARDIS, um, although he apparently had not been in one or or didn't recognize the the camouflage, but once he opens it up the well, door, he recognizes it. Who would? It's camouflage. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and then we get this last scene where the 
the weeping angel shows up and takes over the TARDIS, which is kind of cool. That she shows yeah. up on her on Yaz's phone, basically, and mm-hmm. as we mm-hmm. know, an image of a of a weeping angel becomes a weeping angel, and that's how they sneak into the TARDIS. That's kind of clever. I thought that was a clever g- gambit on their part. And notice that was also the original goal of the Weeping Angels was it back in Blink was mm-hmm. to gain mm-hmm. control of the TARDIS. Although my guess is, I wonder, uh, is do they have the same end in mind that they did then, just to eat up the time energy in the, I, the I have a feeling it has more to do with this war. Yeah. It has more to do with this war than it than it than it does just free feeding. And yeah. we'll find out more about that next week because there's it's an episode set in 1960s Britain where the Weeping Angels are attacking a village. Right. Uh, village of the Angels is the title. I think and and we'll, we'll see Claire this time. Oh, if right. Remember Claire from the first episode where she got zapped back by the Weeping Angels. Right. Well, this is where she got zapped back too. That's right. Apparently. So before we get to our listener feedback, do you have any uh, final thoughts on this episode, Father Corey? You know, well, one th- one thing it just struck me right from the beginning is you know uh, uh, when you watch classic Who and you watch it in the serial format as it was originally broadcast, you know you'd have the cliffhanger and then they would redo the cliffhanger for the next episode, but sometimes they would change it just a little bit, mm-hmm. and that's what they did with this one. Is the cliffhanger second one was was focused on Swarm, snapped his fingers, and it ended. Well, in this one, it immediately shifted to the Doctor running and jumping on the pedestal right. at the same exact moment. Yeah. You know, so they're 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 continuing at least that feel of classic Who because you know I mentioned you know the first chapter really felt like a first episode of a classic Who serial, and they're kind of keeping that that idea going that they're, they're this is very much like a classic Who serial, much longer episodes. You know, it's, it's twice as long as a normal classic Who episode was. Yeah, but it's still keeping that serial connection going so it's kind of nice that they're kind of that's a kind of a nice throwback just in production yeah to do that because they they could have redone that they could redone that cliffhanger in so many different ways where they didn't have to do the let's step back about five seconds but change the camera view type of deal yep yep and and given that we're building up to the 60th anniversary of doctor who you know kind of doing that uh, this season as sort of an homage in in style Mm -hmm. that's kind of fits jimmy what do you what about you I think I think it's interesting that um, Swarm says that the that what was happening at the Temple of Atropos to end the dark times was the founding conflict between space and time, and that doesn't make any sense scientifically. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can't have conflict without time, and so um, and and it would be questionable whether you could have conflict without space, but. Um, Pitting these two things against each other in this way doesn't make any sense, but mythologically, maybe it maybe it 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 could be interesting as you know writing. So I'm interested to see how they play that out and how comprehensible they're able to make it. Well, that should do it for our discussion of uh, Once Upon Time. And uh, as I mentioned, oh we yeah, have, more need yeah. more Joe Martin before the end of these um, of Chibnall's oh, yeah. era. Yes, yes, need, definitely. Need to see her as more than a memory. Yep, definitely, definitely. Uh, so let's get to our feedback. We've got feedback going back to the uh, first episode of this season. So let's sh- jump into that. Uh, Brian Roberts on Facebook, uh, talking about uh, Halloween Apocalypse, says, I enjoyed your review. I'm always struck by the bits that are really familiar to us in the UK, but obviously alien to anyone else. If you're interested at all in the name Scouse or Scouser, that's what Dan calls himself. Scouse. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, for someone from Liverpool, it's the name of a meat and potato stew associated mm. with the area. A mm-hmm. Scouser Yum. is someone who eats Scouse. So yeah, now I've get yeah. over Liverpool and try it. Yeah, and <laughs> Scouse used to be more broadly distributed in its in its consumer base in Europe, but it is particularly associated these days with Liverpool. I remember uh, Lobscouse was a was a name for food from Patrick O'Brien's Master and Commander series. The sailors mm-hmm. would eat. You know, he talks a lot about the food of the air. So that's a, a name I remembered from that. Uh, thank you, Brian. Uh, Kelly Brown uh, writes on Facebook. Kelly is a longtime listener and has uh, we've talked about some of her feedback in the past. And she writes, uh, I admit that I was not very excited about the new season. Chibnall's Doctor Who has been very hit and miss. In my opinion, it's been more missed than hit, so I went into this season with very little excitement. I was very pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed this episode. 
I found myself grinning mo during most of it, something I haven't done with Doctor Who in too long of a time. I love Dan. So far, he's my favorite character this season. I hope that they keep up the episode quality this season. While I'm not a huge fan of Chibnall's Who, I think Jodie Whittaker deserves better than what she was given in previous seasons. I want her Doctor to go out well. One more thing, the first time I saw Swarm, I noticed his bony nose and immediately thought of Voldemort from Harry Potter, and that's why I now refer to Swarm as Space Voldemort. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, like that. Uh, I think that tracks with things we've said about the, this season and Jody and Chibnall and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. You know, I, I felt the same way about going into this season about, you know, I was not very excited. I wasn't sure what was going to happen, especially since it was going to be a serial type episode or uh, season. So far, I've been I've been impressed. I've really been enjoying it. Yeah. This has been the, the three episodes so far have been really, really good. And I, I think you guys share share my opinion on that as well. Yeah, I agree. It makes me think maybe the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery will be good, too. And then I just kind of wake up from that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then our uh, our last bit of feedback is not specifically related to this uh, to this season of Doctor Who, but there's a more general Doctor Who question. Rob Leonardi on Facebook asks, have Jimmy, Dom or Father Corey ever contemplated how in Beauty and the Beast that the Beast turning back into Prince Adam surely looks awfully like Time Lord Regeneration? Maybe a pre Hartnell <laughs> incarnation? That is an interesting <laughs> point. I'm not sure that really fits, but there are a lot of instances in in literature of in you know various media of people changing in from one thing to another that could certainly be a time lord. Transformation literature is extensive in human history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, if if you want to take that, you could also say, you know, the frog the prince that was turned into a frog was also <laughs> the, the doctor. The so. Right, right, right. Yeah. I th I think that Beauty and the Beast is probably more connected to werewolf mythology, do you think, Jimmy? I wonder. Yeah, um, and there, uh, in, in, yes, in in fact, it may be directly based on a case of, um, I'm forgetting the name of the skin condition, but there, we we talked about Pedro, whatever his last name was, who who had the werewolfism condition, mm -hmm. and then married a royal. A, a lady of the royal court in um, uh, the Mysterious World episode on werewolves. Pedro Gonzalez mm. may have been his name, yeah. and um, and uh, and so it's, I believe it's been suggested that Beauty and the Beast might be based on that that historical incident. I'm now just looking up which episode of it's uh, episode ninety of Mysterious mm -hmm. World. Well, you will find our uh, Jimmy's discussion of. Uh, werewolves the mystery of werewolves so check almost exactly a hundred episodes ago <laughs> yes yeah yeah and, and then of course we've got tooth and fang where you know the the queen gets bit by a werewolf right in doctor who so right right that's true that's true tooth and claw tooth and, tooth claw. and, claw. Tooth tooth and claw. claw yep all right well thank you everyone for your feedback we love getting feedback and we love discussing it and, and hearing it here and sharing with the other listeners so that that is great uh, we would like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Christian B, Clarice R, Ray M, Rebecca R, and JS. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. Let us know. Give us some feedback on what you think of Chapter 3, Once Upon Time. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Chapter 4, Village of the Angels. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, challenges are temporary. Life is constant. It sounds profound. I'm not sure if it is. <laughs>